Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, we're going to talk about loneliness. And loneliness has a lot to it. I mean, loneliness can be very, very destructive on not only your quality of your personal life, but your health. And a lot of people don't even realize they're lonely or they lonely and then they do desperate things and they uh, and they, just trying to get out of it. And so some people, they're so aware of it, they spend their whole life struggling, uh, trying to get themselves out of that feeling. Um, you know, it, it can be a very draining and a very depressing way to live when you live in loneliness. And so we're going to take on the challenge of taking this on and talking about it because I'll tell you what, you know, even if you're married, and, and by the way, about 60% of people that are married are lonely in their marriage. The fact is, is that that could be the most lonely place in the world. If you're in a long-term relationship that's not working or in a marriage that's not working and there's lots of commitment between both of you and there may be children or finances or whatever that you've got locked together and it's very hard to get out of something like that. So you can feel very trapped in a relationship where the communication is poor and people are starving. And so, you know, here's some facts about loneliness. You know, we have to wonder what makes us happiest in this life. Some people may point to, uh, you know, fame or fortune, but surveys over several surveys and lots of research shows that friends and family are the best for supporting you. And even though our need to connect is innate, some of us always go home alone. And you could have people around you throughout the day or even in a uh, lifelong marriage and still experience deep and pervasive loneliness. And unsurprisingly, isolation can have a very serious detrimental effect on our mental and physical health. You know, it's estimated that over 40% of us will feel the, the, the loneliness at some point in our lives. Yet despite how common loneliness is, few people are fully aware of the effects in which it impacts us, you know? And, and loneliness does not depend on how many friends or relationships you have. Loneliness depends entirely on the subjective, that means the outward-looking-in quality of our relationships and, and whether you feel emotionally or socially disconnected from those around you. A lot of us have friends, but they're friends in a box. They're not like they're, – they're friends that I go to the movies with. They're friends that I'll go bowling with. They're friends that I'll do certain things with, but they're not like people we call on and spend a lot of time with. And so some people make real relationships out of friendships, and other people have friends – I call them homies – because they're just friends in a box. They're, they're thing, people we just do certain things with. You know, more than 60%, like I said, of lonely people are actually married. And so when married couples no longer share their deepest feelings, they share trust, their thoughts, experiences with one another, it can leave them feeling very disconnected and very, very alone. You know, people in, in such a type of relationship truly believe their spouse cannot offer them the deep connection they would like. And while their fears might be correct, they, they might also stem from the fact that loneliness distorts our perceptions of our relationships. You know, a lot of studies have found that merely asking people 
to recall times they felt lonely was sufficient to make them devalue their relationships. Yet these perceptual distortions cause lonely people to withdraw even further from the people who could actually alleviate their loneliness. And so it, it just makes matters worse. And their friends might be hesitant to connect as well. You know, loneliness is contagious, especially in social networks. It, it has a, a very clear stigma. You know, we tend to be able to spot and identify lonely people around us. But if you look at studies, especially on the Internet, they, they find that over a six-month period, lonely people are pushed to the periphery of social networks. And surprisingly, anybody they're connected to also are pushed out into the cold. And this way, it has a very surprising effect on people um, that are lonely because they're so needy. And on those social networks, if they show that neediness, it makes it work to be on a social network rather than becoming social. It becomes a support system or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist rather than a friend. You know, loneliness actually is it, it, biologically makes us feel colder. You know, uh, health studies have found that recalling a time in which we felt lonely, it actually made people in the studies estimate the room temperature as being significantly colder. It even made their actual skin temperature drop in those studies. And the feeling of uh, pushed into the cold resonates from our evolutionary past in which ostracized us from tribes. And, and it meant keeping away from the warmth of the fire and the social group around it. And, and indeed, our bodies respond to loneliness in a very dramatic ways. It makes our bodies feel like they're under attack. It, it actually causes an immediate and severe bodily reaction. It increases blood pressure, cholesterol, activates our physical and psychological stress responses. You know, chronic loneliness significantly increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. And over time, people are, who are chronologically lonely have a much higher incidence of cardiovascular disease because their bodies are constant and unrelenting in that stress. You know, it's not only the impact of loneliness has on our bodies, but it also suppresses the functioning of our immune system and it causes our immune systems to function less efficiently, which over time, it basically puts at risk for developing all kinds of illnesses and diseases because our white blood cell count goes down and even brief bouts of loneliness impact our immune system. You know, college freshmen, it was studied, who felt lonely had uh, poorer reactions to flu shots. Even after a few weeks of loneliness, it was sufficient enough to actually impact their immune systems uh, of incoming freshmen uh, that felt lonely. And the poor reactional to, uh, to the seasonal flu shots made them have a very, very long uh, semester of illness. You know, loneliness is also as dangerous as cigarette smoking. You know, scientists and research has concluded that given all the drastic ways in which loneliness impacts our bodies, it actually represents a great risk for our long-term health and longevity as cigarette smokers. You know, indeed, you know, studies have concluded that chronic loneliness increases our risk of an early death by 14, 14%. So clearly, loneliness represents a hugely important psychological in injury. Not only we should not ignore it, but we also need to take steps 
to prevent it. And so we're going to talk about that later on, but we want to identify loneliness. So there's a really cool study that UCLA put out, and it's just a, a few questions here, 10 questions actually. Now the answers is never, rarely, sometimes, or often, but I'm going to give you the 10 questions so you can just kind of uh, think about it and see where you fall in this. You know, how often do you feel unhappy doing things alone? You know, how often do you feel you have nobody to talk to? How often do you feel you cannot tolerate not being alone or being alone? And, and how often do you feel as if nobody really understands you? How often do you find yourself waiting for people to call or write and even resenting them for not doing it? And, and how often do you uh, feel completely alone in this world? And how often do you feel you are unable to reach out and communicate to those around you? Uh, do you feel starved for company? Do you feel it is difficult for you to make friends? And do you feel shut out and excluded by other people? If you have feelings such as that, then you have probably a uh, strong need of being lonely and also resolving that loneliness. And, you know, um, Research does not show that living alone is actually a, a cure for loneliness. You know, among people who live alone are, are those, uh, and there's probably many, who choose to live that way. A lot of people will actually choose to live alone as a lifestyle. Now, those people usually build a social network that they like. They have rhythms and rituals and things that they do. They have, uh, they have a way of living that they've filled in for themselves and they feel very strong in themselves in that lifestyle and they've made a life of being lonely. However, uh, what it, studies are also showing that that people are a growing number of people are actually isolating themselves from one another and not as good at, at finding a social network or actually making friends. Now fortunately, and I, I, it's amazing to me, but Video games for kids nowadays, they reach out, and I, th I know you all know this, but they, they reach out to friends all over the world because they play on the internet on their, on their games, on their Xbox or whatever they have. Or, um, and so what happens is they make friends all over the world. So they have not only a network of friends that they can actually talk to through game and play games with. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's really cool. But unfortunately, a lot of them, that's where the only friends they have are. And so... Uh, you really have to look at uh, the, the effects of living alone if you don't want to be alone. Like people that are after a divorce, they've been married for a long time, they've had that comfort of having somebody to come home to even if they didn't connect well, and then suddenly they're thrust into being alone. Many people uh, get married, and we're going to cover multiple marriages in a few weeks, but many people will get married over and over and over again, jump from one relationship to another simply because they're on the rebound from their divorce and they don't want to be alone. A lot of people have that deep fear of not wanting to be alone. You know, here's what studies have found that romantic relationship status didn't matter among the adults younger than 30 as far as feeling lonely. People who were living with romantic partners and often married uh, and older than 65 uh, or people that had a partner but we're not living with that pe partner and people who are single with no romantic partner all experience about the same level of loneliness. But among those older than 65, the singles were a bit 
lonelier. But the differences were actually very small. So only among the middle-aged group, 30 to 65, were the people uh, living with romantic partners noticeably less lonely than single people. So what I'm trying to say is you can be in a relationship or not in a relationship. It's all about how you perceive being alone. Now, if you have a fear of being single, here's some things that might help you. Don't worry. Odds are that you will find a life partner. Marriage was once near universal in the United States with more than 90% of people getting married. And those rates have dropped steeply in the recent years. But the trend data can also be uh, deceptive because it's based kind of on the economy also and how well people are doing. If people are tight, they have a tendency to stay in a long-term relationship even though it's not working for economic reasons, especially if they have children. You know, although the portions, and I'm talking about in today's world, although the proportion of persons aged 25 to 34 who are married has plummeted, that doesn't mean that they are alone for life. You know, rising numbers of people are postponing marriage until their late 30s, 40s, or 50s, while others living with a romantic partner, although they may not legalize the relationship. Uh, when one is more expansive, uh, using of a definition, the odds of a partnership in your favor, you know, the thing is, is that the millennials and generation Xers will ultimately marry probably by age 40. They may have married before then, but they may steady out sometime in their early third, late 30s and early 40s. So uh, a lot of uh, higher rates of college grad and lower rates of African-Americans are in that uh, 40s area of getting married. You know, we have to look for what we are looking for in a partner as we get older, and, and that is a very good thing. You know, there are many reasons to look forward to middle age. One is that our dating preferences and strategies have to change because we no longer have the beauty we once had if we had any beauty at all. But the deal is, is that we, we don't get any prettier. You know, sure, dating becomes harder, especially for women, as the ratio of available men to women diminishes in the Middle Ages. And the sad truth is that our uh, looks-obsessed society, slimmer women and taller men have an easier time on the dating market than heavier women and shorter men. So the good news is that the traits we look for change as we age. So as we focus more on substance and less on, uh, on looks or money, um, the, the best thing to do is to begin to look at somebody who has shaped their life well. So if you're a person that is looking for somebody towards the middle age, you want to look how well they've handled their health, their finances, and themselves. Do they take care of themselves? You know, it, love is not a, a, a meritocracy. You know, well-intended friends uh, often say to single people that it's a shame that someone as smart and attractive as you is alone. And this implies that people need a special trait or qualification in order to attract love interests, and that if we're alone, we must be doing something wrong. Well, that's just not true. Th that message is unhealthy and it's very unproductive. You know, the search for a partner th these days is very complex, and it's not the same as search for the perfect car or job, you know, although dating apps try to make you feel that way. If, if you don't, you know, ask a long-term married grandparent or older neighbor what they love most about their spouse, the answer 
likely isn't she earns a good living or he has great pecs. People with long, happy marriages emphasize shared values, interests, humor, uh, just getting each other, you know, quirks and all, everything about each other. They appreciate each other. Also, you know, if you're lonely and you have a fear of being single, you have to understand that marriage is not a cure-all. There are many reasons to get married. You know, marriage provides important legal and financial benefits. But why, you know, when wisdom uh, holds that marriage makes our lives uniformly better and research shows that not it's not always the case. A good relationship can make life better. People with close, loving, romantic relationships report better mental and physical health and have longer lives than those with strained, conflicted partnerships. But, you know, if you're in a, a bad marriage, it's worse for us than no marriage at all. So a surprisingly high proportion of married people say that they would not marry their partner. And isn't that sad, you know, that that person does not meet their needs. And, uh, you know, a, a, a sizable, you know, like I said, it's over 60% of these people are lonely, meaning that their needs are unfulfilled. And having a friend or family family member is a confidant instead of your partner. That's not a good thing. Also, people that fear being single, you need to also look at the idea that being single has its rewards. You know, being alone is very beneficial to some people. You can make all of your decisions. You don't have to weigh your decisions on someone else. You know, a lot of sociologists have, have written that a growing number of people are single by choice and relish the opportunity to live as they please. Being alone gives people the autonomy to choose where they live, what to watch on TV, what to eat for dinner, what to watch, read on the internet, what books to read what they like and don't like. You know, being single often means that we have fewer obligations and can pursue hobbies, adventures that we can't if we're married. You know, being single isn't for everyone, but a growing number of people stay single for longer than ever before. And these years uh, are used to pursue goals and life goals and take risks that might not be uh, conducive to marriage. And people who stay single for life are often just as happy as peers who are married. And they, they learn to arrange their lives such that they are surrounded by friends, activities, physical environments that enhance their happiness. So what I'm trying to say, folks, is that you do not have to be single or married. You could be both. You could be either one. And you can still be lonely. And so it's important to understand that loneliness is our responsibility. You know, uh, if, if, if you're feeling lonely, you're not reaching out from your imagination and reaching into your soul, which were souls living a human life, and trying to discover excitement and try to discover risks and things that you want to do. All right, now we're going to talk about, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about traps, uh, social lives, uh, the uh, effects of loneliness, and how to conduct long-distance relationships. So come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856. 
or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bill could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about loneliness and some of the traps of loneliness. You know, it it is a very personal, subjective experience. It's one in which is defined not by the quality of our relationships, but by their subjective quality. Not only, you know, not all lonely people are isolated. A, A person might have many friends around them and live with a partner, yet they still feel emotional loneliness or social isolation you know and here's many ways in which uh, people find themselves being lonely you know a friend moves away another friend has a child another friend uh, uh, works a 70-hour work week or more and before we know it our social circle uh, that used to sustain us starts to cease to exist and we find ourselves spending most of our weekends alone you know for other people loneliness is a result of transition such as leaving college enlisting in the military losing a partner to death or divorce starting a new job retiring losing the daily uh, company of, of uh, colleges and on-campus living and associates or moving to a new town or to a new country even and especially a new country that could be extremely uh, very troubling for somebody to make friends especially if they don't speak the language you know it loneliness fosters a very self-defeating psychology and this psychology makes it difficult to escape uh, you know, complicating matters, lonely people are likely to encounter a variety of societal responses that marginalizes them even further. And so the longer our loneliness lasts, the more challenging it can be to break the mindsets and judgments of ourselves and how we see ourselves being seen by other people and how other people see us. And that contributes to maintaining our isolation. And specifically, 
this is how it happens. Loneliness impacts our perceptions such that we are likely to view our existing relationships negatively and pessimistically. And we, we basically start assuming that people aren't interested in our company and that if we reach out to them, they'll reject us and turn us down. And as a result, we take little initiative and find excuses to turn down invitations when we do get them. Also, our negativity and reluctance to give our friends the benefit of the doubt creates a very self-fulfilling prophecy in which our own reactions and avoidance pushes them away even further. Because we remind, remain blind to, part, uh, to our part in creating this thing, this thing we did in our head, and we see their withdrawal as confirmation basically, of our own fear and become even more convinced they no longer care about us. You know, loneliness is very visible to other people who are likely to label us as less interesting, less appealing as social prospects. You know, the stigma of loneliness combined with the negativity and suspicion we might project in social situations makes it challenging to establish new social and romantic connections because we get more desperate and more desperate. And it is contagious. You know, studies of social networks found that over time, lonely people infect those around them, that, that they become pushed into the periphery of that social network, as we said before. And as a result, our own friends and social contacts basically diminish and their opportunities diminish. And the more socially and emotionally isolated we are, the more our social skills, social uh, basic if I would call it relationship muscles, tend to atrophy. And the skill sets often weaken when unused and our ability to connect and relate can easily get rusty after a period of isolation. So if things go badly, when we try to use these basic muscles, we don't attribute the failure or rejection to our skill sets being rusty, but we see the evidence of outside everybody else has made us undesirable, and then we become bitter and resentful. So, you know, how to, how to break free? We'll just put up a, two, a couple of little things, and then we'll move into some more stuff of identifying lo loneliness, and then we're going to take on loneliness. But, you know, you want to take the initiative. If you're feeling lonely, and if you're socially isolated, consider doing something like volunteering or doing community service or an activity that you enjoy. You know, these are good ways to meet people. In addition, try going through your phone and email address books as well as your Facebook and other social media contacts and make a list of people that you haven't seen or spoken to for a long time. And don't psych yourself out and try to uh, tell yourself they're not interested. Instead, give others the benefit of the doubt. You need to give everyone the benefit of the doubt who may not have lately invited you to a party or been connected to you because they may be busy. And, you know, people with families and, and, and spouses and all kinds, they may get into uh, illnesses or having to support another family member. There's all kinds of things that can distract people from their normal routines because life is not normal. There are things that happen on a continuous basis. And so, you know, once you've compiled your list of friends, reach out to, to one of them each day and, and, and try to, to, to uh, leave them a message or, or give them the benefit of the doubt that they're busy and just say, I know you might be busy, but I wanted to see how you're doing. Maybe we see if we can get some coffee, a drink, get caught up on the phone. And you'd be surprised about how many of them will make plans, especially 
if you remember, once again, to be the one taking the initiative to call them. You know, in our social lives, it seems that we get a lot of mixed signals about our social lives. On one hand, you're told that we are uh, essentially social and that we need other people in our lives, especially a fair number of close friends. But on the other hand, we're told that we don't need another person to complete us, that we should be happy with ourselves without depending on anyone else to fulfill us, especially not a romantic partner. So which is it? Well, we need other people to be whole. But then again, we should be content with ourselves alone. And, and I know that's a mixed signal, but, you know, there's middle ground. You know, being social and valuing relationships with other people does not imply romantic, uh, monogamous relationships. It could mean any type of friendship with all sorts of people and any number of people. You know, I, I think there there is a, a tension here. We, we need other people to make us whole, but not romantic partners. You know, what we draw the line there, the romantic partner is not the person that is the person who completes us. We complete ourselves, but ourselves is completed by the pin, the friends that we have brought into our lives, including our romantic partner. Those relationships embellish who we are. And so we don't look at relationships as that is a part of me becoming whole. That is a reflection of me being whole. And the more whole we are, the more we are able to socialize because we're good with ourselves and we're not placing deep and, and rigorous burdens on everybody every time that they see us. You know, um, you know, what if some people feel incomplete without someone to love? You know, many people feel incomplete without close friends and, and who a few would even question this. If you don't have enough close friends, then many would say that you're missing out on something essential to a full life. But dare to say you need a romantic partner to feel whole. You'll likely be accused of being overly dependent and not self-actualized. So it's it's a very confusing signal. You know, maybe what we need is for people to stop telling us what we need to do to be happy or fulfilled and instead encourage people to figure out for themselves and give them the most opportunities possible to find their own way of living. You know, some people have friends, others have few, some have a lot, but they all are happy. You know, people like being single, others prefer being coupled, still others enjoy other kinds of relationships, structures, including open friendships. Um, uh, you know, none of these guarantees happiness all the time, but, you know, all the same, it may be where your life is and what is needed at the time. You know, uh, it's better to look at ourselves as a work in project and a progress you know we are we're on a continuum we're on a we're a process our life is a process and we have to invest in the process rather than where we are where you are is not where you're always going to be you're always evolving you're always changing and that means that your emotional state the friends you have the people that you relate to may be different at different times and that's okay cuz that's what it takes to be a human being you know it, it's it's basically being alone and lonely, even even if just the fear of being alone, make many people insecure, anxious, and depressed. And if you fear being alone, you may become over needy of other people and feel as if you must be around people all the time. You know, well, we all do this. We we do need people in our lives sometimes, but if you feel you must have people around you all the time, then the need is beginning to control you. So that is what loneliness is. And being alone means different things to different people. You know, it's critical uh, uh, to evaluate what makes up your fear and to 
what degree this fear controls you and your behavior. Uh, for example, it's important to note that there are uh, many social elements to fear, and the fear is the fear related to a personal violent concern? Is it focused on a particular person or a type of person rather than on the need to have another human being in close proximity? Does you know? Do we have a traumatic event where we were left alone and isolated and now we have to have somebody around us all the time? That creates a phobia and that phobia uh, triggers loneliness because we, can, we now have a new rule in our life that we cannot live without somebody else being there with us. No matter how uh, emotionally supportive or non-emotionally supportive they are. You know, clinical and research evidence supports the fact that we, that all too often, one of the main reasons that both men and women uh, get into a relationship and then often stay in a relationship is related to the fear of being alone. And as any good therapist knows, a relationship that's based on fear is destined to be very unhappy and unfulfilling relationship until a person in the relationship, one or the other or both, can enjoy their own company constantly find themselves uh, happy or fulfilling their own needs and not depending on their partner to do that. And that, that when they're with their partner, they're celebrating each other's life and adding to rather than taking away or propping up. So, you know, once again, you know, loneliness can lead to anxiety, panic attacks, phobias, depression, suicide, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, acute and chronic illness. And chronic illness, as opposed to the normal loneliness everyone feels from time to time, can be a serious condition and has also been associated with an increased risk of cancer as well as stroke and cardiovascular disease. So people who are socially isolated report very poor sleep quality and thus they have no restorative processes. That means they don't bounce back. They don't have the same energy that they once had. You know, people can experience loneliness for many reasons. As I said before, I've listed a lot of them. It's very common response to divorce or a breakup or or a uh, important uh, loss of a long-term relationship. You know, in this case, it, it may stem from both the loss of a specific person or the lack of having a choice of losing a specific person, as well as from withdrawal of social people in our life that we once associated with in our relationship who now have had to change their dynamics of how they are with us. It also can be a uh, response to a specific uh, situation or event, such as the death or an extended absence of somebody that you love. And loneliness also may occur after the birth of a child or after marriage or after any minor or major event. It, it can occur in marriages or similar close relationship where there is anger, resentment, or a lack of loving communication. And so if you feel that way, the best possible thing is to get an outside source and get a therapist that can help you so that you can re-engage with that person that you love and hopefully come together and re-establish good communication with each other. You know, the fear of being alone can be caused by many different things. And maybe you were, were uh, or felt abandoned at some time in your life and became associated with becoming alone and being unloved and neglected. Some people do that as a coping skill. They isolate when they feel down and they don't want to show themselves to the world. You know, time spent alone can sometimes make time spent with others even more enjoyable. So you want to keep a balance. Okay, now we're going to look at uh, uh, long-term relationships. You know, can love thrive? or even just survive with geographic location or separation. It's not uncommon for couples to be challenged by long-distance relationship. You know, many of the assumptions in long-term relationships are that they are very lonely. 
you know, con- college students deal with this problem all the time. Um, so do uh, young professionals who work or career goals might require uh, mobility. So despite the potential uh, hardships, not all c- couples consider exactly how the transition to a long-term, uh, long-distance relationship will affect their partnership. You know, couples, for example, might shift from seeing each other all the time to see each other once in every uh, few months. You know, and these this change could be serious consequences for their daily lives because it's a uh, disconnection of energy. And, and FaceTime and Skype and other technology can help, but it can't be counted on to alleviate all aspects of the problem because sometimes we just need to be together. We just need to be together in the same room together. So, you know, findings are very revealing. They suggest that certain objective factors in a relationship judgments promote healthier long-distance relationship. And these things, if you're going to have long-distance relationship, include low psychological distress. You know, people who are less anxious and less depressed tend to report greater intimacy in their long-term relationships as well as more commitment, communication, relationship satisfaction, and even sexual satisfaction. It could be that the relationship problems cause these people to become stressed and unhappy, or it could be that psychological distress really affects the relationship's functioning. So here's the strategy. Do what you can do to reduce psychological stress and tension at the individual level. And such relief will benefit the relationship. Also, distance. Not all distance, uh, long-distance couples are the same. Some are cross-country. Some are just across the state. But su- surprisingly, you know, uh, actual distance between individuals and relationship. The more, the the more, the more actual distance between people in a, in long-distance relationships. The more positive the relationship outcomes come. You know, intimacy, communicationship, relationship satisfaction, and self, uh, sexual satisfaction all come into play. Because if they have frequent visits, um, they have more sexual satisfaction. And uh, they also have more personal satisfaction. So sometimes they appreciate each other more when they have long distance apart. Also, uh, there's more relationship certainty because how confident are you are in your partner uh, or and the future of your relationship. The more certainty couples report about their long-term distance, uh, uh, long-distance relationships because basically they know that their partner is still there for them and they want to be with them. Otherwise, they wouldn't go through this stra- uh, uh, sacrifice. So if you're in this long-distance relationship, you want to have a positive attitude and you also want to foster a sense of stability in your relationship by discussing and planning futures. And when couples see themselves as a team working through geographic separation with the same goals, they feel more grounded and certain about their relationship. So now we're going to get into, and we're going to take a break in a minute, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about married loneliness. Also, the strange effect of making an ex a friend. And also things to do to help us prevent us from being lonely and battling loneliness. So this will be the constructive part of this show. Thanks for listening. Come right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. 
Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week, she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email... It'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at svcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, now we're talking about uh, married and loneliness. And actually, this part is about married loneliness, but the program is about loneliness itself. You know, so being married offers no protection from the dangers of loneliness, as I've stated earlier. You know, over 60%, actually 62.5% who reported being lonely were actually married or living with a partner. Now, in the general population of this world, nearly 20%, Nearly 20% of our population is lonely. So, you know, you have to look how loneliness impacts our physical and mental health. We typically don't conceive of loneliness as a condition that requires urgent intervention, but perhaps we, we really should because in addition to emotional anguish loneliness creates, it also has devastating effects on our mental and physical health. Loneliness depresses, once again, and I said this earlier in the program, our immune system functioning. It increases inflammatory responses that put us at greater risk of cardiovascular disease, and it can literally shorten our lives. On the mental health front, loneliness puts us at risk for depression, anxiety. It causes us to distort our perceptions, such as our view of our own selves, our lives, our friendships, our marriage into very negative uh, uh, framework, which in turn influences our behavior and spirals down into more isolation. You know, how, how it impacts our relationship, it distorts how we see other people and it makes us devalue those relationships. We perceive other people as less caring, less interested, less committed that they, than they actually are. And, and we judge our relationships to be weaker 
and less satisfying than they actually may be. You know, in, a, in an effort to protect ourselves from either further emotional hurt, we, we, we hyper alert ourselves to signs of rejection from other people, and we're more apt to miss uh, signs of acceptance. And as a result, we write people off, and we often, uh, without realizing we're doing it, we become overly defensive, and we come across to others as we're detached, aloof, or hostile, and we push them further and further away. So this is how loneliness actually operates in marriage. Although we might believe marriage can institute, uh, insulate us from the ravages of loneliness, it's not the case. You know, loneliness is determined by the subjective quality of our relationships, not their objective quality. Nor just about whether we uh, happen to be living with a spouse, but loneliness in marriage often happens slowly as disconnection just fades in. And we feel from our spouse gradually, uh, uh, the feelings that we have with our spouse uh, gradually decreases over the year. And at some point, discussions about uh, mutual interests, world events, goals, dreams cease entirely. And conversations become purely transactional. We need milk. Your mother called. Did you remember to pay the cable bill? Or uh, focus on our parenting and what's going on in our children's lives. Or also we fall into the daily routines that foster emotional distance. One person watches television in the evening while the other's on the computer. One goes to bed at 9, wakes at 5. The other goes to bed at midnight, wakes at 8. And in short, we, we lose the love and the affection but stay in the marriage. And ironically, often out of fear of being lonely. Although uh, doing so, we potentially doom ourselves to the very loneliness that we're trying to avoid. And that is what often puts that loneliness in our marriage. So how to combat it? You know, the emotional isolation that encompasses us when we're lonely leads our relationship to, to basically become very weak. And so we want to take that initiative, as I stated earlier. You know, if you're lonely, chances are your partner's lonely. But they also probably are, feel trapped in a, in a cycle of emotional disconnection, and they feel helpless to break it. So you want to try to initiate conversations that are not about transactional details. And you want to ask them for their views about something they care about. And make sure to demonstrate that you're actually listening by validating. I understand. I hear what you're saying. Okay, so what you're telling me is. And don't expect them to reciprocate right away because habits take time to change. But after a few gestures of goodwill, you're likely going to melt the ice and start developing a different level of connection with each other. Also, you want to create shared experiences. You know, if your spouse is in the other room watching their favorite show, go sit next to them at the start of the show, at least, and say, you love this show so much, I want to give it a try. You know, they may be confused or suspicious or both, but just be sincere and try to see this show through their eyes. And if, even if it's not your thing after the show, tell them what you appreciated about the show. And even if it was terrible, find something, find something so you can create some connection. You can also suggest certain activities that require very little effort, such as walks around the block, cooking a meal together, watching your wedding video, your, your children uh, reminding, you know, your, your children's videos, organizing a photo album together, writing a, uh, writing a letter together to a common friend or a family member. These are something you could do that costs you very little time, very little money. Also, uh, practice taking their perspective. You know, the longer we're married, the more we tend to assume we know what the other person is thinking. But research very clearly indicates that this is not so. And I can tell you that just by sitting in this chair listening to couples over 16 years, you know, people have different perspectives than our partners think we do. Also, figuring out uh, another person's perspective 
is a, a thought exercise, and it's very important to stay engaged, that we actually have have to close our eyes and focus for a few minutes, not seconds, on the other person's perspective, imagining their world, their point of view within it, gain a greater understanding of your partner's thoughts and feelings, and this will allow you to express more sympathy and understanding towards them. And it may actually uh, uh, increase your bond. Now, here's a thing of advice, and it's not really advice, but it's something you ought to think about. You know, for some people, if they had a, a decent breakup of an ex, of a, an ex in a relationship, a romantic relationship or whatever, but they had a really good friendship, you know, it's a good idea, even though it's not a great idea if you're in another long-term relationship to integrate this person into your life without the permission of the person who you're with, because that's going to probably create a lot of emotional uh, problems in the relationship. But if you have permission of the partner that you're with currently, it's really important to keep that friendship with a former ex just as long as you have good boundaries. You know, so there may have been stuff you liked about them, like their uh, humor or their trustworthiness or their support. You know, they may not be able to trust each other in some ways, but they may be able to be good friends in some ways. So, you know, if your your ex is a reliable person and they have a sentimental value, that's a good thing. If you can use your ex, you know, sometimes opportunities come your way that your ex can give you advice on, like money or cooking or uh, social connections. Also, they may have, you know, you have to examine, do you still have feelings for your ex? And, uh, you know, you may want to figure out, do I need to resolve this? Well, this is not the, the kind of dialogue I should be having with you if you're in a relationship. But if you're not in a relationship and you want to, it's not a bad idea to reach back out and refocus on your friendship and see what happens. Also, um, some situations make it challenging not to be friends with an ex, like finances or investments or stuff like that. But also, being friends with your ex has many other benefits, especially if you have children. It's a great thing to be able to be able to hand off your children and to cooperate and to talk about what your children need without having any great bearing of anger on each other. You know, um, you also you may have had mutual friends, and those friends you lose being single because you were in a relationship gaining those friends, you may get those friends back. And so it's not always a bad idea. Uh, if you had a good friendship with an ex, to bring that back into your life and as a friendship. Because, once again, that, that loneliness factor, that person played a support system in your life, and it may have been healthy on some levels. So you don't want to just throw it up. So throw it out. Now, here's some things to do if you're, if you're lonely. Just show up. You know, uh, familiarity breeds attraction. You know, a, 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 a study from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that the same sex strangers felt increasingly affinity towards each other even after the conversations that they have. Same goes for on, online chat conversations. So don't be hesitant to talk about people, even if you feel awkward or don't like them at first, you know, talk to these people. If you find a genuine interest in somebody of the same sex, opposite sex, whatever, that's building friendships and that's important. So just show up because if you create continuity or if you create consistency, sometimes opportunities will come your way because they're waiting for you to come back because they know you like connecting, let's say on a social network or at a certain uh, location. You know, uh, another thing is to go on a solo date. You, you know, the problem with the groups and couple dates the, the annoying, so what do we do? Where do we eat questions? When you go on a date with yourself, you're sure to go somewhere you actually like, 
and don't have to wait around for other people to decide. And know the difference between loneliness and isolation. You know, loneliness is an emotion, and it's, it's most often triggered by a sad memory. Unfortunately, the brain loves to overanalyze things, and when we overanalyze emotions, we're not going to find logical conclusions. Emotions are the one thing you cannot control. So even momentary loneliness can escalate to longer spells because thoughts like, why do I feel so lonely? Am I a loser? No one loves. When this happens, it just acknowledges the feeling, and you don't want to overreact to it. Also, you want to attend meetups. You know, go to uh, like meetup.com and find a group in your city. There are tons of meetup groups catering to every kind of interest, job, city, hobby. So it's impossible not to find a group to your liking. You know, people who join like a meetup.com are very eager to meet new people, are incredibly friendly, and it's a nice way to make new friends. Okay, so, so if you're lonely, watch a movie. Watch a movie alone or call some friends to go with you. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what's important is you immerse yourself in an interesting story. The other thing is volunteer. You know, if you volunteer, you're going to help yourself. And do a um, identify the cause of your loneliness when you're thinking about it. You know, what do you do when you feel lonely? Well, I can't imagine, you know, that, that um, a lot of people have probably Googled the phrase loneliness. Unfortunately, it's not the best question to ask. You know, but what you want to do is try things randomly, uh, not try things randomly, but but put yourself into the situation of understanding when do I feel the most lonely? And if you're doing that and you recognize when you feel the most lonely, then what you have to recognize is you need to change the routine that you've created that is causing you to feel lonely and replace it with something that's going to fulfill you. You know, uh, a lot of people who uh, read fiction also find themselves not being lonely because they get lost in stories. And that's a great thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing. To, fiction can cause a lot of triggering of the imagination, and it can fill a whole lot of time, and it can give you discovery of who you are by remembering things and causing your brain to remember things that you haven't remembered in a very long time. Also, take a bath, you know. A lot of good ideas come from a shower or a bath, but make sure it's relaxing. And in a great way, bask in your time alone, you know. Also, um, you want to, uh, to, you know, take a, a random bus, a train, or a flight to, to anywhere because you might, you know, meet some friends. You might meet people that are out there that are strangers that have the same interest to, uh, with you. Another way to fill it is that, you know, go on a quick run or a quick walk or go get some coffee. You know, I can't tell you how many people I, I meet at different coffee shops that I go to, and I do like coffee. And so a lot of times I'll meet people and have a nice conversation. It's not that I am uh, always make friends with everybody, but I do see a lot of friends and have made friends, you know, just getting coffee. You also, another thing is look through old photos, you know, uh, um, prepare some snacks or tea and, and spend a little time reminiscing, going through the good old days with a friend or your mom or your sister or your brother and all the crazy things that you might have done. It's also a good idea if you're feeling lonely to, to maybe uh, attend classes or, uh, you know, inspire, uh, plan a holiday or create something new or, or just do something outright crazy. You know, I've seen people jump out of planes. I think that is absolutely crazy, but that gets them stimulated. All right. So, you know, the deal is we have to we have to really get creative when we're lonely and we have to not focus on how lonely we are and how people are reacting to our loneliness, but we need to be proactive with it and we need to engage other people. It's a very important thing. 
You know, and by the way, if you're going to meet up with people, don't bail out on them. Trust me, if you've done this, people are going to bail on you and that will be the last of that relationship. So, you know, people are are very bad in loneliness about bailing because they have this fear of rejection or how they're perceived. Okay, that's our show. Our next show is Children in the Middle, Divorce Abuse. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGB. MFT at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now remember, if you're looking to meeting the one, go to lesbian weddings. Multiple bouquets being thrown doubles your odds. Also, Facebook should have a rule on the relationship status. After it has been changed three times, it should default to unstable. That's our show. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. (laughs) 